All right, so I want to take you back just a, a little ways. For those of you, everyone, everyone here has been a kid at one time. And some of you have kids, so see if you can't remember this scenario that I want to describe today. When you get the note from the preschool class that you're going to have your first like, recital of some sorts where you're going to sing with the rest of the crew, right? Maybe it's a Christmas time or something like you're learning all these songs, and you're going to dress up in these outfits, and you're going to go sing. And as a parent, when you hear that, you know, man, it's, it's game time. We've got to get ourselves ready. We've got to get there a little early, right? We've got to elbow our way in, kind of like an Easter Sunday morning, right? And you've got to find your spot. Now, I'm going to show you my age. We would have to also have room for the tripod in the little camcorder, right? So you can capture everything uh, by video. And then what happens is something unique. When the kids all line up outside of the door and they start to come in, something unique happens. It's like there's nobody else in the room except for your kid, right? And all there's a lot of other people. Everybody seems to be excited about something, and you don't know why they're all excited, because what you're excited about is your kid. And then they're kind of looking around the room like this, right? And it might take a minute or two, because everyone else is interrupting what you're trying to do, and that's to wave to your kid, right? Everybody else is waving. It's just making it very confusing for the poor child, and finally, they get up there. And did you ever have your kid be the last one to find you out of the bunch? And they're like, and the teacher's like ready for them to start singing, right? But there's just something unique about that experience that really connects with part of the way that we're hardwired, right? We're hardwired to have connection like that. We're hardwired to be noticed. And, and I've, I've then seen this carry through in, in, the, in the lives of my kids as they participated in sports and extracurricular activities. Same thing is true. Even I remember when they were young and they weren't starting yet, they were standing on the sideline. The game to me was about the sideline. And I was watching my kid, right? That's the way, and I had ways of communicating to them to let them know when dad was there so that we could have that kind of connection together. And I, just a couple of weeks ago, my son Luke was back. He's a missionary with Youth with a Mission, and he was back from, in Colorado for uh, a few weeks, and we had an opportunity to teach together up here for the first time. And in one of the services, I just had this experience where it was like, everything slowed down. And I was just looking at my kid like, that's my kid, and he's doing such a great job today, and he was seen by me in that moment, and there's something about being seen that is kind of embedded into the DNA of who we are. We want to be noticed. We want, we want um, to be seen, and it's not always the case that we're seen. Sometimes we feel like we've been missed. Have you been there before where you feel like you've been missed? Kids, maybe you're here today, and you cleaned your room without your mom asking you, and they didn't notice. And I know what the parents are thinking right now. That happened? <laughs> Is that possible? <clears throat> or maybe you did something for your spouse and they didn't notice. Or perhaps you got overlooked at work. It doesn't feel good, does it? We don't like to be missed. My wife, Beth, uh, just said the other day, we were up in Fort Collins and we were having dinner and there were students all around us everywhere from the campus up there. And she said, it's interesting to me that sometimes you can even feel alone in a crowd. Have you been there? And we know that that's very true. We long to be seen by others, especially those that we feel have an opinion that matters to us. And then social media has fueled this in a great way, hasn't it? Because now we find ourselves really doing our best to put, to put something out there that others would respond to. And oftentimes, it's not even the completely true narrative. You take the picture like 14 times, you better get one good one, right? And that's the stuff that we're posting 
And then sometimes there's these moments in life when we're talking about being noticed where something happens and you want to just fade into the back. Have you ever had that happen where you wish you could teleport to another continent, right? That happened to me in junior high. It happened a lot in the course of my life, and it might happen right now if I'm not careful. But uh, <clears throat> I remember in junior high, we had made the postseason basketball tournament. And some of you have heard me tell this story, and I received the tip uh, uh, at the very beginning of the game and went down, whew, perfect layup, the wrong basket. Yeah. So it's 2-0, the bad guys, and I became the batter guy. And uh, boy, you talk about embarrassing. You could hear the whole gym's laughing at you. You know, your buddies are like, oh, I'm like, oh, this, I just wish I could go away right now. Those moments we'll never forget. Now, here's the deal. The story of Easter, the story of Easter, the gospel story proves that God both sees us and he loves us for who we are. That's amazing. My main thought over the course of this weekend has been this. Jesus sees me and he loves me. Jesus sees me and he loves me. The biblical stories surrounding the Easter narrative reveal that God sees us and he cares about us enough to meet us where we are. He delivers on his promises. And because of all of this, this is the beauty of what we celebrate this weekend. Our story and this story can intersect today. That is an incredible thing. And so I wanna unpack a couple of, of the pieces of this story with you today. And I don't know where you are on your faith's journey. I don't know where you are. I can't know everyone's story for sure. And I know there's people that are just exploring things of faith. Some of you are just super nice and someone drug you to church today. And uh, some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. And I'm praying, my prayer has been that our time together would connect with our hearts, every single one of us, in some way that we would understand uh, understand God a little differently today as we take a look at this. So I wanna first address this feeling that many of us have that sometimes the mistakes that we've made in life can disqualify us from a relationship with God, disqualify us from an opportunity even to be in relationship with him. So I wanna take you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 22, you can go on your smartphone as well, because I guarantee you we are not the only ones that have felt that way. Um, and this story takes place right after the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. How many of you were able to be here for the journey to the cross uh, on Friday? It was awesome. We set a record. Over 1,000 people came uh, through the building in one day from 7 to 7. It was awesome. And every time that I would go uh, in the room where we would see the table set for the Last Supper, I got to go sit where Simon's table place was because I just connect with Simon uh, for a lot of reasons. He he's, talks too much. Um, and he says dumb stuff a lot, and he has to go back and apologize for the dumb stuff that he says. He's just instinctively responding and impulsive a lot. And in this story, this is kind of what happens. And so I want you to see this. Jesus has just told his closest crew that one of them is gonna betray him. And we ultimately know that that ends up uh, happening for sure. And, and you can imagine how that felt if you were in the room that day. These 12 people that you've been hanging out with for a long time, now one of them is going to betray Jesus. And Peter, in typical fashion, he rises up with that impulsive instinct, and this is what he says to Jesus. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. He said, even, and even to die with you, Jesus. So he's putting himself out there really quick to kind of let the rest of the crew know and to let Jesus know that he's not the one that would betray him. And ultimately, we know Judas is the one that betrayed him, but Peter is the guy that's super quick to respond. I want you to see what Jesus said in verse 34. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. 
Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And I wonder how that felt for Peter to hear that that day. So now fast forward, Jesus has been arrested in the garden, he's taken prisoner, and the disciples have scattered. They're all very afraid that somehow they would be associated with Jesus and then that they could have repercussions and get taken prisoner as well, and who knows what happens. So they've all scattered. But Peter is kind of following along in the shadows, keeping a distance, but I need you to see what happens next. In Luke chapter 22, verse 56, a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. What's interesting to me is that as this is all playing out, Peter's not even remembering what just a few hours before Jesus had predicted would happen. Look at verse 58. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. That's twice. Verse 59, about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, two of the gospel writers say that in that moment, Peter swore. He was so angry that he swore. It's just painful to watch. I can't imagine how he must have felt. And yet at the same time, I kind of can. Do you know why? Because I've blown it a few times too. How about you? Not just a couple times, maybe a couple hundred times, maybe more than that. And we know how it feels to blow it. But I want you to see what happens because this narrative just gets worse. Um, at that moment when, when uh, Peter had, had said that, look at verse 60. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And all of a sudden, as painful as it is to watch, we see this story unfolding. And here's where it gets even worse. Check this out in verse 61. At that moment, I want you to imagine this. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny three times that you even know me. That is a painful part of this story, isn't it? And when I read this, I think, gosh, man, Jesus has a lot going on right here. And yet somehow he still has the presence of mind to stay connected with what is going on in Peter's life. And can you imagine right in that moment when Peter hears that rooster crow and he looks over and Jesus has locked eyes with him? Can you imagine with me how that would feel? Have you ever absolutely known that you dropped the ball? can't even imagine the emotion that Peter must have been feeling. And, and how would he feel? We know how he felt. Look at the next verse. In verse 62, Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. So you can tell that in that moment when he felt that glance from Jesus, this just haunts me. I can only imagine that what he was playing, the narrative in his mind was that, there you go, Peter, you blew it. I tried to warn you. Where are you and the rest of the guys? Why did you run the way that you did? I'm so disappointed you failed me. Where are you when I needed you most? Don't you think that's the narrative that Peter is playing in his mind? Of course, of course it is. But here's what really matters. What was the heart behind the look for Jesus? That's what we need to capture. To Jesus, this is just one example of what motivated him to go to the cross. It's why he did what he did. 
You see, we are his most important thing. We are the motivation behind why Jesus does what he did when he went to the cross. This is the why behind the story of Easter. We are his most important thing. Jesus sees me and he loves me. Now, you have to know the rest of the story. Jesus totally restores Peter, and you see what happens is greatest failure becomes the catalyst to Peter's future, just like it can for you and I. In spite of his failure, after Jesus dies on the cross, after Jesus comes out of the grave, sometime this week, go back and read John chapter 21. Jesus tenderly meets Peter in that moment, and he walks him through his failure, and he challenges him to not let his failure define him. Jesus' work on the cross and Jesus' resurrection led Peter to a place of complete restoration. You know what I love about this story and Peter's greatest failure? Jesus wasn't done with him yet. Oh, and that's awesome. Because you know what that tells me? He's not done with me yet either. And he's not done with you. The cross and Easter prove that God has a plan and that our greatest failures become the place where we meet Jesus. And when we meet Jesus in the place of our failures, we begin to understand differently and appreciate differently all that he's, that's why celebrating Easter becomes so exciting because we know how thorough his work on the cross was. Author Lisa Turkhurst put it this way, the look that passed between Jesus and Peter wasn't one of condemnation. It wasn't an I told you so moment. She wrote, I believe Jesus's eyes were filled with compassion for Peter, the same compassion he has for us today, a look that invites us to trust him and to draw near to him once again. You see, I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding of our heavenly father. When we fail, we feel like we need to run away instead of running towards him for his help. We run in shame instead of going to the very place where we can get help. And Jesus restored Peter. This is a great weekend to tell this story because if you know any of Peter's life, there was a moment where his name was Simon and Jesus changed his name to Peter and this is what he said. He said, Peter, you are the rock upon which I'm gonna build my church. This has been a fun weekend to say this. Clearly it worked. Here we are. Jesus kind of knew what he was doing, and I think it's beautiful that in, in spite of his failure and maybe uh, using that failure, that becomes the foundation. That's a great person to start the church with, don't you think? You don't want anybody responsible for a church that doesn't understand what it means to fail and experience and know God's redemptive work. That's what motivates us to do what we do. That's why we're here, because his redemptive work is so beautiful, and so he does become the rock that, that God chooses to, to, to build his church upon. Why? Because you are his why. That's why Jesus did what he did. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he came out of the grave. Jesus sees me and, and he loves me. And I wonder today how many of us have found ourselves stuck in life, feeling unworthy of a relationship with God because of our pasts because of our failures and our mistakes. And the story of Easter proves that our Heavenly Father's redemptive heart and plan is still, is still at work today. He died for all that we've done. He came back for that. He conquered death for that. He defeated the enemy for that so that we can have hope to overcome our failures too. So last fall, Beth and I had a chance to go back to Ohio where, where that basketball game took place and we went to an Ohio State Buckeye game, which was really awesome. 
that wasn't in my notes. But <clears throat> um, then on Sunday, we went to church, the church where we grew up, uh, my family and I. And um, after church, there's a, a couple of folks there that knew our family from when we were young. And, and so there's this gal that was there. Her name is Marty. And she comes kind of hustling over towards me like with this guy in tow. And um, she's like, Doug, it's, it's Coach O'Neill. That was my junior high coach, the one I'm still in therapy because of all of that, <laughs> that stuff. That, this is the guy. And so we had this great moment. He was a great influence on my life. He's an amazing coach and spoke a lot of great things into my life when I was a little guy. And so we were talking about some of those things. And I was like, hey, um, Coach O'Neill, quick question. He's like, yeah, Doug, what's up? I said, do you remember, was that like seventh or eighth grade when I... When I started off the game making a layup for the wrong team, he's like, seventh grade, I'll never forget it. <laughs> but here's, here's what's interesting. When my dad was there at that game, and when I made that layup, my dad yelled at me. He yelled at me. Um, but this is what he said. He said, nice layup, kid. Go play some defense, right? Why? Why did he do that? Because he knew what was happening in my head and my heart in that moment. And he knew that I was embarrassed at what I had just done. I had just failed miserably. And he knew that my buddies were going to be talking some schmack. And he knew the crowd was laughing at his kid. So dad would step up. Because he's a safe place. Even in our greatest failures. Just like our Heavenly Father. And see, you guys, so often we have this wrong. Someday we're gonna be able to talk to Peter about this. Won't that be a fun conversation? So what did you feel? What did you think when Jesus turned and looked at you in that moment? He's like, oh, I'm gonna tell you what. I, ha I was miserably wrong about what I thought that look communicated. He said, but, I guarantee you he'll say this, but that became the catalyst for the rest of my life. Because I began to understand in a different kind of way. When you really know who God is, for who he is, instead of running away, we know, when we know we've blown it, we run towards him. And so this week I've been thinking about that. And I've been thinking about my relationship with God and how oftentimes I think that my relationship with God is predicated on my behavior. Have you ever been there? That like things are good if I'm good, things are not good if I'm bad. And so when we do bad, we feel like we gotta kinda hide from God. We gotta kinda dodge away from him, fade to the back because we think we're unqualified then. But here's the thing, we need to understand this, that there needs to be a different kind of mindset. When we celebrate Easter, when we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross, our mindset must change. And we think, man, I blew it today. I better go talk to dad. Because that's a safe place to go. Because his redemptive work then is what puts us back together. We don't run from him, we run to him. Because he sees you, and he loves you, and he died for you, and he's alive for you. I think also, we have a tendency to think that God is too busy to see me, to care about me, and that God has too many big things that is like God's stuff. Why would God see me? Why would he care about my life, he seems clearly too busy to have to see me and worry about my stuff too. And I felt that way, and so I wanna set this story up. We've, we've just seen Jesus taken captive, and, and now he's, he's being tried, and, and the trial is unjust, and then he gets beaten. You remember the story with, with the Roman cat of nine tails, and if you've ever studied history, Roman history, or if you've read any theologian that would talk about that, they will tell you that that beating was so brutal that he took 
that it would have ripped the flesh off his back to the point where you would have been able to see his internal organs because it was so brutal. Imagine that. Then he carries his cross to the top of that hill and then they begin to nail those nails into his feet and his hands. And here's an interesting part of the story that sometimes I think we miss. In verse 32 of Luke chapter 23, two other criminals, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Again, think of all that Jesus is going through. His body has been brutalized, and now he's hanging on the cross. And in order for him to breathe, he has to push up against those spikes, the spike in his foot, and pull up against the spikes in his hands. And in addition to that, imagine this. He is preparing to take the sin of all humanity upon himself. It seems even sacrilegious to say he's got a lot going on. But look at this. Look what happens. He pushes up against that spike, and he breathes in. And he says in verse 43, Jesus replied, I assure you, speaking to that criminal next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Did Jesus have a lot going on right there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But was he too busy to care for that one man that was hanging next to him? No way. No way. And let me tell you what Easter proves. See, God sees us. He isn't too busy with more important things. And your greatest failures don't separate from you from God. As a matter of fact, he died for those things because you are his most important thing. And what typically could happen when we get to this spot in an Easter weekend like this is that we are celebrating a story that's 2,000 years plus old. And we think to ourselves, Doug, great, I've heard it before, I know the story, and I get it, but man, this is 2,000 years later, and I got a lot going on in my life. I have experienced some failures, and sometimes I feel like he's too busy for me. Does God still see people today? And you know, one of my favorite things to do is to tell stories of how we can see and know that God still sees us today. And so I wanna share with you a story, and it's a powerful story, of a young lady named Nisha who was in a horrible place, and God saw her, and he met her there, and she was able to experience the redemptive work of God that we're talking about today. Watch this story. My name is Nisha Lowe, um, maiden name Mitchell. I was born on April 6, 1980 in Calcutta, India. We don't know a whole lot about my origin story, but we were told that my birth mother, there were no papers that were signed. Typically, um, girls at that time were, if they were pregnant, they were young. Most likely she was a teenage girl, unwed. And in India at that time, they still operate on caste systems or did. So she would have been considered an outcast as a young teenage girl who was pregnant and not married. These girls would come to this clinic, which really was not a clinic. It was basically a hole in the wall, not 
any sort of hospital standards by what we would call hospital. And in these clinics, they would deliver the baby either by inducement or they would choose to have an abortion. They didn't do anything for their surviving babies, the ones that, that made it. They would just put them in a box, essentially, and leave them outside of the clinic in an alley. These babies were not seen. They were unwanted. They were abandoned. I am the product of that. I just wanted to share a verse from Psalm 139. Verse 13, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. That verse has meant more to me probably than any other scripture because it's speaking to when I was formed. And for me, like, that's a dark place. As much as the circumstance was dark, it doesn't matter because I'm, I belong to the Lord. His hand was on me. I was seen from that dark place, and He loves me. And He had a plan for my life beyond that alley. I was rescued by an international adoption organization. I came to the States at nine and a half weeks, came to Portland, Oregon, and that's where I started my life in the United States with my parents, Chris and Julie Mitchell. I grew up in a loving, Christian, God-centered home, which I'm very thankful for because it laid the foundation for the rest of my life. I came to know the Lord at a very young age, um, so I definitely had the head knowledge all growing up, especially as a pastor's kid. I knew the right answers. Um, it didn't flush out into a heart knowledge until I did more life and until I realized that Christ sees me and that he has always seen me. And just like when I went from a hopeless place and then was adopted into a loving family, he has adopted me into his heavenly kingdom. He calls me his daughter. He calls me his own. He offers me a new life. I went from Nisha, the girl who is abandoned in an alley, to Nisha, the child of God. Even if you are choosing to put your hope and trust in the Lord, there's no guarantees that that means this life is gonna be easy, because it isn't. He desires abundant life for us, but we're on this side of heaven, and so that means that we're, he guarantees that there's gonna be hardship and suffering. And we've had our fair share of that. We walked through four miscarriages. We also had a business and 08 hit and we lost all of that. I lost my dad to a massive unexpected heart attack when he was out here visiting about seven years ago. We had another loss about four years ago when my husband's sister died by suicide those things will just knock the wind out of you. But God sees you in your hard times too. He is the only one that can bring hope and can bring comfort in a way that nobody else can. As much as there's hurt and pain and hard conversations with the Lord, He promises to walk with you through it. He doesn't leave you or forsake you ever. And there's great hope in that. You may not have been left in a box when you were born, unwanted, 
um, abandoned, but I think we can all relate to times when we felt unloved, not seen, not good enough, not worthy, but that's the good news of the gospel. That's Easter. God sees you and he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And this beautiful relationship with God, the only reason that it's possible is because of what we're celebrating today. We celebrate it because Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross. But the beauty of Easter is that he rose and he's a living God. And we don't walk this life alone and we get to spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. Christ's resurrection, that makes all the difference in the world. And that's why we get excited on a weekend like this when we reflect and we look back and we read the story again and our hearts get stirred because when you've experienced God's redemptive work, it, it's just so thoroughly awesome that you wanna celebrate it. You wanna celebrate it. So let me take you back to the first Easter Sunday morning in Luke chapter 24, but very early on Sunday morning, the women, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. The women were terrified and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Woo! Now listen, we, we have a God, we have a God that makes these incredible promises to us. And I need you to know, you are his why. That is why all of this happened, because he loves you, because he, he sees you, he cares about you. He's not too busy for you, he died for you. And listen, your greatest mistakes don't distance you from God unless you let them. Instead of running away from God, we need to run towards him. And I know that's a message that somebody here needs to hear today. So whether you're in this room or you're worshiping with us at home, would you just right now just bow your heads for just a moment? When we hear these realities of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us, listen, I, I realize there might be someone here today that, that hasn't made this decision to step across the line of faith. And if you're in this room or, or you're wherever you are at home watching right now, if you're feeling in your heart that the Lord is drawing you towards himself, listen, this is a, a very important moment for you. And if you're prepared and ready to say yes to Jesus, I just want you with your own words to tell him that you recognize your need for him and that you don't wanna run from him anymore, you wanna run to him. Ask him to forgive you because he died so that we could experience that forgiveness. And thank him that he's alive so that the power that, that raised Christ from the dead could be at work in you. And Lord, I also pray in this moment for perhaps someone that has been made a decision years ago, but has kind of faded away in their relationship with the Lord. And maybe in this moment, you've been reminded of the importance of aligning our life around the, the reality of Easter. Maybe you'd say that you know in this moment it's time for you to just allow your heart to be drawn back to the Lord. And if that's you, in your words, just tell him, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to come back. Lord, I thank you for what we celebrate today because it is incredible. 
I thank you that we can celebrate this together as a church. And Lord, I thank you for the life change that, that we've experienced. And Lord, I thank you that you're alive and at work in us and that you see us and that you love us. Will you help us as we go throughout the rest of this day and this weekend to not lose our heart's connection to the reality of Easter? We love you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? Because we're not quite done yet. I think we got a couple more hallelujahs in us. What do you think?